0: This is a Socialist News and Views special
1: interview.
0: I'm Nick Schillingford coming to you from the Urban Cabin Studios in South Minneapolis with this special interview. A note, at the time of this recording on February 10th, 2023, it was four days after the terrible earthquake in Turkey and Syria. At that time, the death toll stood at 20,000 people. Today, the death toll, according to Al Jazeera, is well over 50,000 people in Turkey and Syria. This is alluded to in the interview. Here's the interview. So on Socialist News and Views, we let folks introduce themselves. You want to just tell us who you are?
1: All right, cool. Uh, yeah. First of all, thanks for having me. Uh, my name's Eamon McAdam. I'm a writer and organizer from Beirut. Currently I'm living in Vienna with my husband and my cat. Um, I have a history of, uh, I have a degree in screenwriting, so I've, I've worked in films for a bit, but lately I've been working more with comics. Uh, I find it a medium that's much more accessible and like, um, immediate. Um, and lately, yeah, so we have... Uh, I work under the title of Bizdri Number 6 uh, alongside a really close friend of mine and artist, um, Hisham Rifai. And we work under the title of Bizdri Number 6, which is the name of the apartment we lived in together in Beirut oh. throughout the revolution, throughout the economic collapse, uh, the explosion, the port explosion. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, and we left at the same time together. And so... We do comics on revolutions, on feminism, on social commentary, on um, uh, some personal, like lived experience things. And uh, other than that, I am a co founder of a queer mutual aid group in Lebanon, uh, where we support mostly trans uh, Syrian refugees who don't really have access to aid or support from anyone else. And the NGOization of the queer community in Lebanon has made it such that it's we need new forms of community building and um, right yeah mutual aid to to keep our community alive and um, yeah that's me.
0: You do great work, and you know you and your partner the with the comics do great work. Uh, I've been a longtime supporter of Unicorn Riot, and that's where I first came into contact with your work as part of a comic series that was called uh, Revolution in Every Country and specifically gravitated towards episode two uh, Sudan building power from below, which talked about the resistance committees in that country. And, uh, you know, do you want to just talk a little bit about gathering the information for that whole comic series revolution in every country, and then specifically talk about what you found out about Sudan and the resistance committees in that, uh, in that research and, uh, and, uh, comic building period. All
1: right, cool. Yeah. So the name of the series, um, Comes from a chant that was uh, sung by a group of, uh, they were called the feminists, but they're, uh, and they were like intersectional feminists during the October 17 uprisings in Lebanon. And the chant is um actually, the melody of it is taken from uh, a Syrian, a chant during the Syrian revolution, which was, um, uh, Yalla Bashar. come on, go, Bashar, you know, leave right and so the same melody was taken but turned into this kind of internationalist chant so uh i don't know if you remember 2000 late 2019 there was a lot going on around the world there was a like, massive protests in chile in um, in iraq i think in algeria there was a lot happening at the same time and in hong kong oh yeah and so there was this chant of um sort of solidarity of support of, of unifying that you know and so, and then there would be a, a which means revolution in every country, mm. and then a small segment for this country, or you know, from us to the people of Egypt, to the people of Palestine, to the people of, you know, Iraq. And so, that was kind of the kernel of the idea, um, but then I really started specifically thinking about this comic series, uh, middle 2020, when there was sort of no activity in Lebanon, <laughs> Right. Uh, the COVID-19 pandemic, but also this like disastrous economic collapse that's still going on. Right. Um, made it such that it, it was just clear. And regardless, we're a tiny country that's like, you know, um, the subject of so many imperialist um, <laughs> interventions, but nonetheless our mm-hmm. like regional interests. So there's this recognition that we really can't do this by ourselves. We really do need a nationalism. Um, And so then I started thinking about the series where, you know, um, not just from my perspective, but I I do think as in from someone in Lebanon who wants to overthrow this regime, but um, aware that all all revolutions really do need solidarity and material support from across the world. We really do need each other. Uh, especially with globalization, with American imperialism, with whatever. You know, there are just so many things that actually connect us. Um. Right.
0: Well, it's that kernel of internationalism just in the chant, like embodied in that chant yeah. that's really, you know, really gets to it. It's the heart no, of the so,
1: Yeah. And there's like a lot of, for me, one thing that I found really amazing when I, I, I'd seen this when I was in Lebanon during a protest was – um I'd seen just two days earlier videos from Hong Kong, people turning off like tear gas canisters with like a police cone and water and whatever. And about like a few days later, I saw that exact same thing happening on the streets of Beirut. Um, And so it was that like really materially learning from uh, how to turn this off. And it was great. And we had like a fire, a tear gas turning off like team, you know, people that were like, (laughs) wear vests or whatever. They were the ones that would go and turn it off. But so aside from that I think there's a lot that we can learn from each other but also things that we're, we're kept from knowing um mm. so in Lebanon's case for example there's just a lot of people that have no idea about the Syrian Revolution you know we uh, were there's just a lot of propaganda and a lot of uh, obviously like internal interests and whatever with with Hezbollah and everything right um but also with Sudan there's a lot of sort of structural racism that makes it such that even we in the quote-unquote Arab world uh, don't know anything about Sudan right
0: Um, oh most people in the U.S. most people in the U.S. don't know anything about Sudan to be honest like even even left people that I talk to in the U.S. don't really know anything about Sudan to be honest so
1: no no for sure I think uh, but then what I find interesting is like in general most people in the sort of imperialist centers let's call them don't mm-hmm. know much about the periphery right right and in general like even lebanon right. or whatever but within the periphery there's also peripherization so like even in the sort of arab speaking world you know sudan sudanese people are speak arabic and it's our language but there is still that racism still that mm-hmm. anti-blackness but also um because we do have a lot of sudanese people living in lebanon but they work you know very menial jobs or whatever um and so there isn't that um sort of taking them seriously Uh, Not just to sort of like understand, but also to learn from them. And I can get into it in a bit, a a bit more in a bit. But and that's built into the
0: class structure, like you mentioned there, right? That they do these menial jobs, and you, you know, you're you, you know, some people people see themselves as above other people, and you know, these are the people that do that, and I am over here, and I don't talk to these, you know, that. So that's yeah, that's a huge thing.
1: Um. So basically, the comic series was sort of born of this. yeah, desire to like share knowledge, not just about our revolutions, like to ourselves, but there's also this, I, I, the next episode I'm going, we're going to work on is on Iran. Mm. Um, and we're going to find, uh, we're in touch with an Iranian activist that'll sort of be working with us because we don't speak Farsi.
0: Okay, um, yeah.
1: But there is this aspect of it where we really not, like to start building internationalism, we need to talk to each other
0: oh absolutely
1: and, yeah and one thing that i really appreciated about unicorn right is how uh, accommodating they've been about like translations but also about um yeah how we're sort of not marketing it but presenting ourselves right um because there's this sort of knee-jerk reaction especially in the kind of colonized world to just be speaking and appealing to the west um and to just, like, English-speaking communities, mm-hmm. whereas there's there's so much more that can be explored, and especially building internationalism within our communities of speaking to each other in Arabic. But also, um, yeah, our comic actually on Syria was recently translated into Farsi. Oh, great. And as a result of that, I've been speaking to a lot of people in Iran who, you know, their regime was part and complicit and, like, very involved with the destruction of the Syrian revolution and with, like, massacring Syrians and... Um, and they had no idea that they, they just they're mm-hmm. completely um, the propaganda model is so intense. Right. right. Um, but so then, I mean, ho- I don't know, it's hard to say, but hopefully there are some solid, some new forms of whatever solidarity can form. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah.
0: And so in Sudan, when you you know, when you wanted to uh, uh, connect with activists there, um, I, you know, part that's actually part of the comic um you know they uh, you know you're kind of kind of like we're doing now <laughs> get on a zoom call and and talk to them but again you know the connection isn't always great and then do you want to just talk a little bit about the resistance committees what they told you about um you know how they had uh, set up to kind of defend and to um you know kind of hold the coup in its tracks and that kind of thing
1: yeah so the Sudanese revolution is one of the most impressive and just incredibly inspiring things that's happening I think anywhere but definitely in our region it's been four years now and they're still having daily protests they're organizing in ways that's just very hard to visualize or to see you know it's this kind of um when people talk there's this kind of knee-jerk thing people say well organize you know mm. well, what should we do Well, we should organize but right the word is so ambiguous sometimes you know what, what do you mean with who um but with sudan what we're seeing is genuinely very real forms mm-hmm. of material solidarity of organizing uh cross class cla- cross um, ethnicity and cross uh, region um these are sort of like divisions that i from lebanon know very well we do have um there's what was really interesting was talking with people from sudan and when i was doing my research was the similarities um right was the similarities with the sort of uh distinction from, the urban centers and the rural areas, with the the regions, as they say, um, with obviously the economic situation, but with that, you know, inflation with um, goods and whatever, like in low supply and medicine, but obviously it's, it's 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 far worse. And so, what's so inspiring about Sudan for me, coming from Lebanon, is that they have uh, some of the similar things, but so much more intense. You know, there's mm-hmm. there's um, just every protest. I think it's a in the hundreds of, of protesters that were gunned down in the streets. Um, and it's a military dictatorship at the moment, mm. right? Run by uh, one of the guys, Hameti, was uh, sort of rose to power in Darfur as a warlord. He just literally was a warlord and he just mm-hmm. rose to power. He's, he's actually now looking for, I read an article, he's looking for a PR consultant in Europe yeah. because he can't speak. He has no confidence. He's not a politician who rose to the top by like, you know, convincing people you wrote them anyway
0: well no uh, i think that, i i think actually that specifically is the kind of thing things that are really important because we need to be finding these splits in the ruling class but also like figuring out how we can beat them
1: mm-hmm. and
0: you know they all they all have weaknesses even though they act like you know the especially the ones in the west act very arrogant and like they're you know above everything but they all have weaknesses and figuring out what those are is a huge part of the fight to win i think you yeah know. Especially if, if you know, if if you want to uh, you know, uh, do it with r- less violence on your side, or as you know, competing with them in a in a violent uh, space as little as possible, let's say, uh, then you have to find all those weaknesses and all those ways that they uh, are not as uh, impressive as they think they are. So
1: there is definitely that PR war that's happening in Sudan and. Mm-hmm. One thing that I was very happy to do with this comic about Sudan was that, um, because there's obviously still this question, I mean, me and Hisham are both Arabic speakers, and we're really trying to get in touch with, uh, we did interview uh, two resistance committees, um, sort of organizers, but -hmm. there is still that uh, thing that's always in the background that I think everyone should have, which is that uh, idea of positionality, you know, who are we to be saying this or that? Right. Um, but we're really happy about the fact that the resistance committees are very interested in getting out these messages and this idea or whatever. They do have their own social media. They do try to whatever. So we're really happy to like contribute to that. Um, yeah, the uh, sort of broadcasting or or this dissemination of, um, yeah, like even the re- resistance, like the revolutionary charters that they came up with, um, there was like a very intentional thing that they wrote it in English and Arabic and English. Mm -hmm. Um,
0: Super important. And then these are, you know, these are down to like the neighborhood level. So when you, you were saying like organize, what does that mean? And there's a lot of like, looks like there's a lot of like localized groups all across the, you know, country, which it seems like is another part that makes it hard for the regime to combat. This is that it is a very like localized, you know, in the neighborhoods and with deep roots in the community. And like you said, um, you know, building those uh so support systems you, for each other
1: the one thing i find so yeah i'll get a bit into the the nitty-gritty or whatever. sure yeah the, go the for it. it i'm
0: interested so and i'm sure everybody um, else is
1: yeah <laughs> and this is stuff that i wasn't able to like include in the comic because one of the difficulties is that it's uh, we do want to make it accessible and right. so then we want to make it not like you're reading a full essay but something right. that's a bit more um Easy on the eyes. So there's a lot of text and info that I didn't write in, but then that's why I also provide, and we, we thought it really important to also provide like a list of uh, writings, uh, lectures, uh, podcasts by Sudanese writers, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and activists. So the resistance committees, originally the kind of structure that we now call the resistance committees was something that was created by the regime, right, by Al Rashid. Okay. and it was this sort of like um, cop on the block. Uh, it's, sorry, what's this American? Um, is that it? Anyway, uh,
0: like neighborhood watch or something like that, or like
1: yeah, yeah, but for the regime, so like the yeah, 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 cop on the beat or whatever. It's there's an American, but so basically when the revolution uh, started, and I think what was it. Two thousand eighteen, late two thousand eighteen. Mm-hmm. Um a lot of these like micro regime basically outposts, they were sort of ex um like kicked out, like people in the neighborhood. Oh, sure. Um, but also something that Sunni the people in Sudan really can't say a lot, which is kind of a uniqueness, is that people in Sudan already know their neighbors. Like people right. like live close together there already is a lot of this communalism stuff that i'm kind of familiar with in beirut but i know that like less familiar in more like urban and western areas where like i mean i'm living in vienna now for like a year and i, I don't know any of my neighbors right and whenever i see them it's just like fuck off i'm gonna go home right
0: <laughs> no yeah and the yeah the u.s it's a lot more like that i live in minneapolis so it's a little bit it's, it's a little bit better uh on that than a lot of places but yeah generally in the u.s it's not a lot of people don't know their neighbors.
1: No, yeah. I mean, and that's a symptom of like urbanization, but also of like the neoliberalization of right. like, identity and, and community that you're just like an atomized individual. But so, anyway, um, so these resistance committees basically co opted and, and took over these things that were for the regime, these outposts, these, these structures, or whatever. And so instead of these micro. Uh, regime outposts that would basically monitor what people are doing or who's voting what or who's doing what that was sort of taken over by the community themselves Mm -hmm. um and initially they were just um kind of neighborhood support kind of like a neighborhood watch system where it is Mm -hmm. just um whenever they do protests i mean they would organize these protests they would also um, yeah build shields and banners and whatever and these were the people that were like at the forefront of the protests um, and at the same time you had more organized and established um, let's call them like organizations um, and these are like trade unionists these are um, sort of civil society actors that had already been kind of you know organized before they're actually banned under Bashir but they have a longer history sure. Um I'm forgetting the name at the moment, but they formed together to create something called the FFC, the Forces of Freedom and Change. Okay. And these kind of represented, this was an umbrella group that represented a kind of trade unionist, professional associations and whatever, it's a bit middle-class. And so a lot of people at the time were observing this and seeing these people as the forefront of the protests, but actually there's this thing growing in the background, which is this incredibly decentralized um, sort of just neighborhood organizing. And as the protests continued and as the economic collapse started continuing, they started doing more mutual aid stuff. I mean, this, again, sounds like a kind of program, but if you already know your neighbors and you know this person right can camp, whatever, uh, and there's going to be a long line for bread, one person would go, wait in line, and come back and distribute. Um, but I think in late 2020... So the reason I bring up the FFC is because although they appear to be at the forefront, they kind of betray the revolution by mm-hmm. signing an agreement with the interim the military government to whatever. And this right. was seen as a betrayal for uh, the resistance committees who, up until this day, center justice. We don't want power sharing. We don't want to, what is this right. slash civil uh, civilian slash military, whatever. Right. Um, these are also smart people. Like These are also like... Um, very aware of like what military regimes look like and e- they'll never succeed power right they'll never uh actually rescind power and they just have to look up north to egypt to see what military dictatorship looks like right and even when they come in and they say oh i'm a transitional guy it's it's bullshit <laughs> yep um so the resistance committee's Then aside from just organizing protests and organizing talks online and doing mutual aid in their community, um, they started actually creating uh, documents, uh, which honestly are some of the coolest things I've ever read that are just like being written like live documents. Right. Um, These revolutionary charters that not only set up like a kind of framework for, okay, we want to overthrow them. We overthrow them in these ways. And then we want to supplant them with a civilian government uh, and like have these ministers and these and these whatever, but also establish a kind of new identity for. Uh, so basically, there's like a revision of their history that sort of there's a kind of rereading of their history at the point of a revolution. You sort of look back and realize like, hey, what led up to this, but also what most people know is the regime's narrative is the history that the regime has taught them is and especially that's super crucial in understanding yourself right and so there's this big issue of identity in sudan i definitely know this in lebanon as well where we grew up only knowing that the south was x and y and the north was this and y and whatever right so like for years there was this uh, insurgency uh we call it insurgency right we're still we still use this language Right uh, in Darfur, in the South, and, and you know South Sudan even seceded. Um, and so then relearning that history, actually know that, like, placing the regime as the sort of antagonistic force that was against all of us. And so it's this really revolutionary document that creates this new sense of identity, this new idea of Sudan, uh, and then what Sudan can look like. And I, I just think it's actually incredible um, because... Yeah, Oh, I just um, want to say this one point. And yeah, this is yeah, no, why please it, do. Absolutely. It's super interesting to me. In Lebanon, we're fucking burnt out, right? We're right. exhausted. We're we're traumatized. Uh we felt feel like we tried and we completely failed. And now we just, you know, I, I left because I just like there's nothing mm-hmm. I can do here. And I'm just being destroyed every day. Um and you know, we're in a situation where Lebanon is experiencing probably the what's described as one of the worst economic collapses since the 19th century. Um, it's like, it's, 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 a disaster.
0: It's on a whole nother and, level than anything we've seen. Yeah. So thinking about fucking
1: like, what is a revolutionary future we can have? Like what's this term? This prefigurative politics, you know, what right. actually setting down, um, in that context feels impossible i mean mm-hmm. i'm sure you've worked on google docs with like four people and it's a nightmare <laughs> <So> <laughs> right. imagine doing it for an entire country and not just like a yeah. thing to submit for a magazine but and so these the the way that the revolutionary charters were created is also just super impressive because every so you have neighborhoods and neighborhood mm-hmm. resistance committees this might be a bit confusing and I, I hope we kind of explain this a bit in the comic sure. but Sudan has eighteen states. Okay. Uh, And then obviously the states have regions, and within the regions there are, like governates or whatever, and then rather governates and then regions and then neighborhoods. You know, like cities or towns or neighborhoods. Um, So once all these groups sort of forming together, you had state level uh, resistance committees. You can see them on Twitter. They're all on Twitter actually. Mm. They're all in Arabic though, but. Right, um, that's
0: where it gets complicated.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, uh, but for American, American audiences. Exactly. Um, so each one of these states had a sort of coordinating resistance committee, which would be representing of all the ones within the state. And so at the state level, they would have one resi- one charter for each, for the state itself, mm-hmm. right? The charter that they thought was best for them and best represented them. Um, and there was like, generally there was a voting process because ultimately what they, there's a voting process of which charter do we want as specific States, but then which charter do we all want to sort of unify together? Mm -hmm. And so now I think the final charter is called, um, the revolutionary charter for the establishment of people's power. Okay. And yeah, it's, it's, it's an incredible document that I think everybody should read, um, especially the sort of prelude or the preamble Um, because again, it sort of really places the uh, onus, the, um, the blame or the sort of, it focuses on the regime, Mm -hmm. uh, neo-colonial forces, uh, imperialist forces, uh, capitalist forces like internal and external Um, and centers justice in a way that's so stubborn and just like, You know what I mean? Brilliant, like just right. Because there have been massacres and so we will not they we will not participate with the army. We will not work with any like previous politicians who worked Mm -hmm. with them. And like the very first thing is we will hold criminal trials for everybody who is like responsible for uh, massacres in Khartoum and Darfur and whatever. Um, Which. Yeah, so again, it's amazing that it even exists. It's super
0: important. And yeah, people in the United States don't know anywhere near enough about it and they're not getting enough uh, information about this. This stuff is starting to take place. You know, I was involved, you know, there, I mean, with Occupy, there was like the assemblies and whatever, which at least in Minnesota, I thought were basically a disaster. It seems like at Zuccotti park, some of them worked uh, for getting a few things done. Um, But you know, but there has been mutual aid and other things, but again, it hasn't been as organic here because, Again, there aren't those connections in most of the communities that there are uh, from the sound of it in Sudan. So it's been something where people have to spend a lot of time and effort to get that stuff up and running and build those uh, mutual aid networks. And um, so, but this is super important. So, looks like we're uh, running a on time here. I just I wanted to touch on you also uh, were involved in the creation of a short graphic novel called A Letter Home, uh, hmm. which is described as quote, a deeply personal medley of emotions about Beirut loss and dislocation. Can you tell us about what went into that work uh, quickly and then just where folks can get a copy of that as well?
1: Yeah, sure. So first of all, we published it with Mengal Media, which is this Istanbul-based media collective, and you can find it on their website. Uh, we had written this in 2020, or sorry, 20, shit, 2022, Uh, A few months after we'd left Beirut. And basically, it's a short graphic novel where it's just me writing a letter to a friend back home and having had just left Lebanon, but also very strangely still longing for it, even though having had been there in the last two years and the Beirut, the home that I know that is Beirut is gone. Right. And so we have a lot of problems with nostalgia in our mm-hmm. areas because there's always this imagining of the golden era or the time when things were good. And obviously, there are a lot of communities where it was always shit. I mean, refugees or migrant domestic workers. But aside from that,, halos, like the, sorry, enough, the uh, <laughs> the Lebanon that I know and Beirut that I know is just gone. And so how do I reckon with those, whatever? I talk a lot about a short story uh, towards the end uh, by Hassan Kanafani called death of bed number 13 that I really recommend because it really deals with that. Uh, so basically it's a story that deals with collapse, which I think is a theme that's going to be much more present in people's lives in general. Right. Um, and the one thing that I would say about this and with Sudan is that I think the scary thing is that these not scary, but also potential, whatever is that these are based on necessity. And so, you know what I mean? These are things that are just put in front of me. Right. Uh, I didn't choose to leave or flee exactly. or whatever or for the explosion, but um, so even the mutual aid responses sometimes come from. And we'd hope that people can organize before it's necessary. But yeah,
0: yeah. But well, and I just wanted to get you know we've there's there's a lot of negative things we you know the war there's the explosion there's displacement we've got the earthquake there's a lot of bad things going on. So I just, you know, we talked about the resistance committees. I think that's, uh, you know, there's a lot of inspiration there. You know, what right now, what's inspiring you? What's making you feel, what's giving you any uh, little bit of hope about our ability to build a, a better world? Anything uh, recently?
1: Honestly, it's a very tough question to answer at the moment. because, uh, Yeah, we're at 20,000 people uh, killed by this earthquake, and uh, which compounds just so much trauma and grief that it's just in, difficult to reckon with. Um, I, I honestly am also, I do want to help finish this uh, episode with a bit of a, a what's called an up note or a, something
0: uplifting. Note. Yeah, <laughs> no, it's fair. I It's hard. It's uh, a little difficult. Force it. But, I get it. <laughs> it's, it's very fair too. Cause it's almost something, there's something
1: inspiring, but also deeply unsettling to me. The fact that some of the most inspiring examples of, uh, organizing a political activity come from the people who, needed the most and who are the most deprived and are uh, Mm -hmm. unable to ever and i see having been in europe for the last year the thing that's frustrating me on a daily basis is the the choice not to engage the choice that's sort of this you know climate change climate collapse that's not gonna like there's this almost delusionary whatever or this fact that people don't consider people that are living here in part of the communities and they're sort of antagonistic and obviously we're not I'm not even talking about right wing forces that are are on the rise even here, but uh, even amongst the left or center. Supposed allies. There's a complacency, which is difficult Mm -hmm. to whatever. Um, But I think there's there's some discussions, there's some feelings that are, at least I'm making within myself, uh, that I'm a bit, I'm feeling. I'm making some progress in my own life and in my own, mm. let's say, recovery. Uh, right. But I, I'm trying to do this in a collective way. I'm I'm organizing now. I'm in a kind of queer Arab collective here in Vienna. That we've only just started. It's like five of us. We did a a party, and now we're gonna do a film screening, or whatever. Um, but
0: I think recovery. I think that's a good uh, word. I think people in a lot of places, you know. And, you know, mo- most of them haven't faced anything like they've faced in Sudan, but it definitely feels like we've been through a lot of shit, basically, I guess, is the, <laughs> just to put it in a blunt term. And and people are pretty, uh, you know, like, like the, you know, the shock doctrine or whatever, you know, people are mm. kind of in shock, I guess, in a, in a sense that, you know, there's just been one thing after another. And it's been really hard for people to mentally recover, myself included. Uh, you know, I'm focusing mostly on the podcast right now. Um, but yeah, it's, I mean, it's good, you know, we need to be able to give ourselves some kind of like nourishment to be able to, um, you know, and especially if we're in you know, cultures where there isn't that support, there isn't that, you know, natural, like mutual aid as part of the community, then we can be super isolated, unfortunately. Hmm. So I don't know,
1: I um, can feel isolating. <laughs>
0: so. I
1: think one thing that's the most recent thing that sort of gave me this new, um, because a lot of us in the region have sort of been, yeah, burnt out and are just lost so much aspects of ourselves and of hope mm-hmm. and of whatever, uh, you know, hope is a dirty word now. Right. Um, and then so is revolution. But uh, w- what's happening in the Iran is absolutely uh, just inspiring um, because I mean, we're also talking from our perspective, that's one of the centers, you know, like we do have an understanding that we are in the periphery, even within the periphery that, that, but um, some of these incredibly brave feminist actions that's taken part in this like revolution um, that's sustained for months now, uh, which is why I'm very excited that the next episode will do. At the moment, we're working on an episode about Lebanon and intersectionality. um, But the next one will be on, you know, because it just feels like something that's, living and that is a potential of like some sort of hopes or new horizons because we've only been met with like doors and boots um and yep yeah
0: (laughs) well i really appreciate you speaking with me and i really appreciate your work and i'm really excited to see the next uh episodes come out i think it's so important because this international element and like learning from each other is only going to help us improve our movements everywhere and you know, we need those movements in other countries. I like guess part of the success in my estimation is that we need to be working together. We need to be learning from each other and also supporting each other when, you know, when one movement is getting, you know, the most attacked. We need to be able to get behind them and vice versa so that we can like, you know, I mean, the, the capitalist class, the, col- you know, colonialism, that's all global that's all international and they, you know, support each other all the time. So we need to get a lot better at that. Is there anything else you want to share or any other projects that you've got, uh, uh, that you're working on or that you've done that you want to touch on before you go? Uh,
1: I will just say a couple of things. Um, The one book that has been the most sort of like moving for me lately uh, was uh, Octavia Butler's parable of the sower. I just recommend everyone read it because with climate collapse and, collapse and trauma are things that i'm thinking a lot about about a lot and so i really recommend that book uh otherwise i don't know we have an instagram page basically number six we also have a patreon which we're trying to get people to go on but yeah. um easier said than, than that, that
0: getting people yeah. to go to patreon you know it's always <laughs> this, it's a struggle you
1: know <laughs> i've got to do the marketing uh but yes um
0: yeah yeah, well, I really, I really appreciate you speaking with me, and I'll be looking forward to the next episodes of the comic coming out, and I'll include links to everything when I put this, uh, when I put this uh, special out. All right. thanks, thanks so, much. so much. Take care. Me. You too. Yep. Bye bye. Cheers. Cheers. And that's our special. Thanks for listening. Solidarity. This has been a Socialist News and Views special interview.